You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Mill, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. We're on a day off in between games one and two of the preliminary matchup between the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks. Of course, Miami having dropped a tightly contested game in overtime 109-107 to Milwaukee on Saturday afternoon. If you haven't heard the recap from that, make sure you check it out. But there's some storylines to talk about. Uh, I addressed most of it after that first game, and I was joined by my former co-host, Wes Goldberg, to talk a little bit about Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, the supporting cast, Giannis Antetokounmpo and his performance, Drew Holiday, and his impact on the game. But I was looking over some Bucks sites across the internet, of course, and they're referring to their big three of Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday. Kind of took it a little personally there because I really don't think there is a big three. If you're going to compare any big three, it's probably going to be Miami and the Heatles, of course, and maybe you could make a strong case for Tim Duncan and the San Antonio Spurs, although that probably hurts a little bit for Heat fans to even listen to. But I kind of wanted to use that as a an excuse to talk about Miami's big three. Why not make a strong case that Miami does have, in fact, have a big three, even though Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo both struggled from the floor. But you might as well throw in Goran Dragic because I think he's going to be a pivotal factor for Miami. I talked about this in all the previews I recorded prior to game one. I mentioned that Goran was going to be Miami's X factor because of the unlikelihood that he was going to continue to perform as well as he did in last year's playoffs. So far, so good. 25-point outing for Goron in Game 1, but will he continue? I'll talk about that later in the show. I'll start off with the obvious one, Jimmy Butler. And my point about Jimmy is he got what he wanted. 4 of 22 from the field. He just could have knocked those shots down. Now, I think a big part of that might be the fact that he was overtaxed. I, I think he had a hell of a challenge trying to limit Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I think that was a big reason why he might have been a little more than willing to take a three-point shot. We have not seen him take nine three-pointers at any point in his tenure with Miami. Probably a career high as far as three-point attempts. For him to have taken two of those, and knocked down two of those, excuse me, I, I think that's fine. I don't think it gave him the confidence to want to take that shot repeatedly. I also think that part of it was due to exhaustion. But I think there was also the element that I mentioned after the game one loss that Part of them were in the flow of the offense. I rewatched all of his shots. I watched them over and over. And I wanted to see if there was something there that maybe I had missed the first time around. And I didn't really see anything particularly egregious. Like I said, if all the performances, and there were some bad ones on Miami side of things, I didn't think Jimmy's was particularly bad. I liked how he took that heat check three early on. His first shot attempt was actually a three-pointer from the wing. He missed it, of course. But then... A couple shots later on, he he missed a turnaround jumper while being guarded by Bryn Forbes. Clearly a height and size and strength advantage on Forbes, but he took a turnaround jumper that we've all seen him hit a number of times. He just couldn't hit it. He took a turnaround jumper over P.J. Tucker. Of course, Bucks fans cheering as 
Tucker kind of stonewalled Jimmy a little bit, held his own because of the physical strength there. Like Tucker, a fine defender, certainly sturdy enough to hold his own against Jimmy. But Jimmy took a turnaround jumper. It's It wasn't like he was forced into a bad shot. He just wasn't able to get to the rim as easily. And to his credit, Butler took responsibility for that after the loss. He said as far as getting to the rim or having more wide-open looks at the rim because there certainly weren't many available for the Heat. He said that's on him. He needs to go and, and be more active and, and try to force getting downhill a lot more. And we'll see whether or not that's able to happen uh, on Monday night in Game 2. But as far as the overall shot selection, again, I, I, there was the one shot that I think really was most telling for me was Jimmy missing a bunny early on. Because I saw something that I don't really see from him very often, which was frustration. He missed the bunny, and he, he knew he let it, you know, he, he held it up short there. Like He realized that he, he made a mistake, that he wasn't, his timing was just off. And I think that's a big part of it is that as he's, you know, getting to the flow of the game, and, and I thought watching him survey the game, understand what was necessary of him, I thought he was going to have his timing and be able to snap into it. He was thrown off a little bit. I still think he was trying to, I I believe he was able to get the shots that he wanted. I just don't think he was able to capitalize on them. I mean, it's a bunny look. He tapped it in. That's a shot he can make easily. No wonder he was frustrated. But we saw him miss bunnies later on, too. He's missing layups. He's missing shots at the rim. He's missing that jumper that we've seen. And as far as his mid-range jumper, a lot of those were pretty wide-open looks. He came off screens, took a first step, created space. He had that shot open. He took it. And it was a good shot. I can't find too many faults in in his shot selection. There were a couple three-pointers in overtime that may have upset Heat fans. And I think it's, look, he's taking nine three-pointers. You figure you got to be a Duncan Robinson-level shooter or at least a Goron, a Tyler Hero, somebody who's shown the ability to connect on most of those. Or at least a pretty healthy portion. Jimmy, not at their level as far as his shooting prowess is concerned. And so I think there is some issue there. At least a lot, I saw a lot of Heat fans still, I mean, even Heat media members, kind of taking Jimmy's shot selection to task. I don't have a problem with it. I don't think we should either. I, I think he's going to do what he thinks is necessary within the context of the game. But to my point earlier, I think there was an exhaustion factor, a fatigue factor. And I believe that he may have been settling a little bit, but it didn't seem that bad. He won't say for certain. He says he, he's going to take that shot again. He, he said he, he had no problems taking those shots, that he'd be more than willing to, and they just didn't fall. He doesn't seem to have any kind of confidence issue. I don't think there's any problem there. He doesn't see it as, an, as a real issue that needs to be constantly delved into. It's just the shots didn't fall. Sometimes it really is a matter of just making them or missing them. Consider, consider Jimmy Butler just hits two more shots. Miami wins. If he goes 6 of 22, and we'd still all be talking about, ooh, Jimmy having a bad game. 6 of 22. That's all he needed to do. Less 25%? What? I mean, just over 30% maybe shooting from the field? And he wasn't able to even muster that. But it would have been enough to, for Miami to win the game. If he hits one more three-pointer, one more mid-range shot, five-point advantage from Miami, and all of a sudden they win by three. It's kind of hard to go back and just play the what-if game, and I know Jimmy's not going to be doing that. He's not going to be replaying in his head. But I, I think he'll watch the tape and say, you know what, I, I'll take that shot again. 
just didn't have it for whatever reason. And I will say, look, the presence of Brooke Lopez certainly played a factor. There were a couple moments there where he may have been, his timing may have been a little off. But of the 22 shots, I'd say really he took maybe two, maybe three that were somewhat questionable. Other than that, totally within the flow, perfectly reasonable shot selection. I don't have a problem with it. And I think we'll have a big bounce back game from him. And I want to leave this segment with that point over everything that's happened over the last 24, 48 hours, however long before you hear this episode. I want to reemphasize something I said in that recap. I, I feel like this has been a very encouraging loss for Miami, if you can believe that. The flip side of it, and I will offer that as I always do, Milwaukee shot historically badly. They have not shot at 16% in three years. And yet, Miami was only able was only down to that should have been they should have been leading I mean when you when you shoot that bad and again Milwaukee the fourth best shooting team from three-point range during the regular season held to 16 percent a lot of that due to Miami's defense some of that missing wide open looks you know they'll bounce back from that conversely I also think that Jimmy's going to bounce back I'm not so sure about some of the other players on the Heat roster, some of which I'll talk about in the next segment. But I also want to let you know that if you're feeling a little stressed out, and there's certainly a good reason why you would after game one's loss, then maybe you should consider some kind of a pocket-sized guide to help you sleep or focus or be better. If you've got 10 minutes, then let me tell you, Headspace can change your life. It's a daily dose of mindfulness in the form of a guided meditation in an easy-to-use app. It's one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. You need some help falling asleep? Who doesn't? Headspace has wind-down sessions for their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations that you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. That's the best deal offered right now. So go to headspace.com slash locked on NBA today. So if we expect Jimmy Butler to bounce back, and I think most of us do, can we make the same argument for Bam and Abayo? While Jimmy may have gotten what he wanted as far as his shot selection was concerned and just couldn't knock it down, I'm not so sure Bam did. Bam did not play to his strengths. And I think he was a lot more, I don't want to go so far as to say intimidated, but certainly impacted by the length of Milwaukee's defense, particularly Brooke Lopez. And Spo has to find a way to make sure that Bam does get those looks. I know a lot of it's within the flow of the game, and I understand that play calling is not necessarily going to work, but he has to find a way to get Bam involved early on, set screens for him, get him going downhill, have him use his speed and size and strength 
to attack Lopez. Two things could happen. You're going to get your shot blocked. Three things, I guess. You're going to get your shot blocked. Or you're going to get a Lopez, a foul, you know, Lopez to commit a foul. Or you can probably get a, an attempt, you know, that you might be able to actually hit. The problem with Bam, of course, as we've all talked about, is that he wasn't looking particularly aggressive. Even Goran Dragic's comments after the game saying that, of course, he wants Bam to be aggressive. Not necessarily going to uh, the mid-range shot as frequently, but just trying to get downhill that he has the size of speed to be able to get there. I think everybody recognizes that he might be a little bit more passive. And now part of that is also the way the question was asked, the phrasing, etc. Of course, he's going to provide that kind of answer. They're all going to... I think they would all, to a man in that locker room, say, yeah, we could all have been more aggressive. We could all have been better. But with Bam, there was something just off. He was a little too tentative. And on those opportunities, when he did take a shot somewhat decisively, it almost felt like he was rushed. He just couldn't seem to find his rhythm. And I think that's important. I know it sounds really cliche, but every player will tell you, slow the game down. Feel the pace there. And I know you're trying to be quick, decisive, and at the same time, polish, sure. Intent is a word that Eric Spolster uses a lot and with good reason. Like even he mentioned that yesterday after the game. He said he wanted to make sure that if we're moving forward, how to generate more offense with Lopez packing the paint and, and obstructing shots at the rim is to move forward with pace. Much more fast break opportunities, more attacking the rim with purpose. Again, Get him into foul trouble. Lopez can be foul prone. He can be gotten to. Yes, he's a big body. He's a hell of a defender. Credit to him for sure. But I think Miami can do things a little bit differently and certainly a little bit better. And it starts with Bam. There were a couple moments there where Bam shot just, he just didn't seem like he was comfortable even considering a shot. Once he did engage and start to kind of just move slowly, slowly slash too quickly at the same time, it was it was weird. Like rewatch those shots if you can. And I'm I'm serious. I, I saw the shots, saw him kind of just all of a sudden say, Oh, I've got to take this shot. And then he kind of slowly gets into it and then all of a sudden pulls up way too quickly. Totally off balance. I've watched every shot that Bam Adebayo has taken throughout the course of his career. I think I think I've seen what a good fluid shot from Bam Adebayo looks like, and that certainly wasn't it. Not on many occasions anyway. Four or fifteen, not as bad as Jimmy. No three-point shot attempts for Bam, something that may or may not need to happen. I don't personally think it's going to be there. I don't think it's going to be there anytime soon. And I would be incredibly surprised to see him even take a, a three-point shot with purpose at any point in time. Can he can he take it at the end of a shot clock or if time's winding down or something like that? Sure, yeah, maybe he can take that shot he has and he will again. I just don't see him purposefully taking a three-point shot at any point in time during the Heat's playoff run. And, and so he's just he sees Lopez and all of a sudden something just falls apart there. Something clicks for him and it just he doesn't realize that there's another way of attacking Lopez, another way of getting past him. Because Lopez, he'll put his hands up, right? He says, oh, I, look, he's seven feet tall, probably with like a nine-foot standing reach. He's going to block most shots just by standing there. He doesn't have to leap particularly high. And so for a guy like Bam, all of a sudden he just says, oh, there's this nine-foot wall, almost a 10-foot wall, obstructing my view of the rim. And you could tell on his release, like he was high-arching it, 
And every time it was falling short because he just couldn't see it. Or there were a couple of times where he, he put up too much strength on it. He just wasn't able to get that kind of timing down. And he put so much into the shot that he hit a clunker off the backboard. It just seems so atypical of Bam, who has great touch. And for Bam, he just, I don't know, something about him uh, just not comfortable going at Lopez. And I made the point after my recap, but I saw Trevor Ariza. Trevor Ariza. I saw Jimmy Butler on multiple occasions attack Lopez. One of two in his shot attempts against Lopez. Bam just wouldn't challenge him. And there were there were opportunities there. Like, he could have done things differently. He, he just, again, let's say with Bam, this is how a play kind of typically breaks down for him. He gets the ball. He's holding it at the elbow. He's waiting for a screen to set. Maybe it's won by Ariza or Dragic or somebody else. He's waiting for Robinson to curl around, lose his defender, and then Bam can set a screen. If the screen gets blown up or somebody's sticking with one of those perimeter shooters, he's holding the ball at the perimeter, just kind of looking, looking, and then he says, okay, time for me to do something. And then that's where the slow slash too fast part of the shot selection takes place. Where he puts that ball down, a slow dribble, indecisive. And that's where I, that's where it separates the shot selection that I saw from Bam versus what I saw from Jimmy. Jimmy got what he wanted. Bam did not. Bam didn't know what he wanted. He took what the defense forced him to take. A bad shot off balance against a, a superior defender in Brook Lopez. It's unfortunate. Bam is going to come back aggressively. There weren't many games like this from Bam to Bio. As much as we'd all like to, or I'm saying, I I should say you all, because I have not, I have not been uh, as upset or aggressive about Bam's lack of aggression. I think there have been issues there certainly, and you'd want him to be a little bit more willing to take the shot, but you're going to get what you get from Bam, and that's okay. I, I think a big part of it also, and I should mention this, I think I mentioned in the recap, and if I didn't, I'll mention it again. He's trying to get other guys going. That's just part of the, his nature, is to find a balance, sometimes unsuccessfully, like in game one, of trying to get other guys going while similarly trying to look for his own shot. He's going to bounce back. I think I think he will. I, I just I said it decisively a second ago, and now I'm, I'm maybe maybe it's rubbing off of me. Bam's own indecisiveness is impacting me as well because I, I feel like Bam does have bounce back games. He knows how to read the play. He knows how to kind of gauge and, and change the pace at which he attacks. I think we'll still see the mid-range game being a big part of his offense, and that's fine. I'm okay with that because it sets up other things. Because then if he starts to hit a couple of mid-range jumpers early on, then Lopez is going to have to draw away from the rim to be able to challenge those shots. They might take Lopez out altogether and put a guy like Portis in there. Perhaps not ideal given that Portis is not a great defender, but perhaps a little bit more mobile than even Lopez is. And given that, then that creates opportunities for Bam or others to get to the rim. Because Bam is such a great jump, I say such a great passer. If he's drawing Lopez away from the rim, he can either scoot around him, drive past him, and probably get a good look at the rim, or he can find a cutter like Robinson or Nunn, somebody who's willing to get to the rim, even Dragic. Run, run an inverted pick and roll there with you know Bam as a passer and, and Goran as a roller. I, can't, I could absolutely see why it would work out that way. So we'll have to see. Again, just a few hours away from Game 2 tipping off. My tendency is to believe that Bam will bounce back. I think Jimmy's going to bounce back. 
But one player who had a great game on Saturday who I don't think will bounce back is Goran Dragic, and I'll tell you why after I tell you a little bit about Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bar ever. Nine delicious flavors. If you haven't tried them, trust me, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. So many of them you'll absolutely love. All of them 100% covered in chocolate, so you don't even know you're eating a protein bar, but they just taste so good. It's like an indulgent treat. If you order today, you get yourself a box that you can build with different kinds of flavors. Get a mix-and-match box. Believe me, you a great great combination of flavors you're gonna love them get them to your friends give them to your family take requests and buy another box go to builtboard.com and use the promo code locked 15 this is the time to buy yourself as many of those built bars as possible you get 15 percent off your first order if you use the promo code lock 15 remember you get 15 percent off but only if you go to builtbar.com if you're like me you're probably having a built bar just because you don't have the time for anything else you grab yourself a snack and one of the biggest demands for so many people in the corporate professional world is trying to find the right person to fit a role in your company. If you're the hiring expert for your company, and I've been there, then let me tell you about Indeed because that is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. You post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet the must-have qualifications that you decide and you schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy with tools like Indeed Instant Match and Indeed Skills Test that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests, then add your must-have requirements so that you only pay for the applications that meet them, the applicants that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites. If you're looking to find somebody to fit your company, then Indeed is a place for you. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions do apply. NBA playoffs are here, so don't miss the big storylines from every game, every day, on the Locked On NBA podcast. Follow the Locked On NBA podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Goran Dragic, huge game from him, 25 points. And again, looking over his shot selection, I think he did a really, really good job of finding ways to get past Drew Holiday, who was on him for a number of possessions, just use screens so effectively but my concern is is it sustainable and I don't think it will be it's unfortunate to say but at this point in his career I just don't trust that Goran is going to be able to have multiple back-to-back games of high impact scoring this past season he scored over 20 points 20 points or more on eight separate occasions the following games he shot under 40 percent for all of them except for once at the start of the regular season when he was healthy, when he was just bounced back, when he didn't have the wear and tear of the regular season. And I know he's had some solid games. Expecting 20-plus points for him is unrealistic. My concern is that are we going to have a 3-of-9 a shooting, a 2-of-11 kind of day, something akin to what we saw from either Jimmy or Bam on Saturday. And I think that's more than likely going to be the case. I This isn't a reverse jinx. I just don't know that he can continue to string those games together. I don't think he can continue to duplicate that. 
which means that we're going to need somebody else to step up. Somebody else is going to have to fit the bill. He's going to have to accomplish what Goran was able to do on Saturday. My money's on Tyler Hero. I know he shot poorly. I know he didn't get a lot of playing time. But I still think Hero can find a way to step up. Some people have argued that Hero probably should have gotten more playing time later in the game. Uh, you could probably have made the same argument for Kendrick Nunn. I think either of them could have been a guy who could create their own shot, who might be able to have a little bit of success, especially Nunn. Just, I mean, look, both Nunn and Hero, I'll be honest with you. Both of them are capable of hitting the mid-range shot. It's a big part of their offensive repertoire. That's the way you can beat that drop coverage. If there's, there's space there, if you're able to get that initial screen and you're able to find that space there in the mid-range, you take that shot. I thought Kendrick would have a much bigger game, game one, and that was not the case. I think those options are still going to be there. I think you're going to have the potential to have another big game from Kendrick or Tyler. I just, because Kendrick's going to be in the starting lineup anyway, and so you're going to probably see a much more uber-aggressive version of Bam and Jimmy, I would assume that you'll probably see a lot less shooting from Kendrick. Duncan's going to get his. Trevor doesn't need his. And that kind of leaves Kendrick out in the cold. But if you're not going to get a big game from Goran, and I don't expect that he would, then I think that Tyler needs to be the guy who stepped up. And he was talking about it earlier today, uh, you know, pregame, uh, pregame, a, a media session held on Sunday. Tyler spoke to reporters and he talked about being back at home and having uh, family in the stands, his parents, his brothers, and some friends that he grew up with all there to watch him play. Hopefully he's getting a little bit of, I don't know, a little love at home, a little home cooking, something to help him kind of relax because he looked a little off. Certainly he had a big game. I think the nerves did get to him about the the bigger crowd, the fact that there was a larger crowd there than he's used to. And certainly with the kind of importance of the playoffs weighing on him. I'm I'm, I'm predicting. How about that? I'll go ahead and predict a 20-point game for Tyler. I think we're going to see it. I think the big three of Goron, Jimmy, and Bam will change to Tyler, Jimmy, and Bam on Monday. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a great game. It's going to be a great series. This, these teams are very evenly matched. If there's a, Again, if there's an encouraging thought, and I keep saying this because I see a lot of – I see some despair out there from Heat fans, and I don't think it's quite necessary yet. You got to win game two. You don't have a prayer if you don't. You can't win – okay, you can. It's just very difficult to do. You're not going to be able to win four games out of five if you lose the first two. So taking the next one is imperative for Miami's chances. Not so much for Milwaukee. Yeah, you want to protect home court, but you get at least one win. I think for Miami, again, they're they're evenly matched. I think they're very good teams, both of them. I think there are things that Miami does well, that Milwaukee does well, and sometimes they cancel each other very evenly. Given that, you know, Miami is a good shooting team and they certainly were in game one, Milwaukee does a really good job of protecting the paint and that showed as well. I think Miami did some really good things defensively and it certainly looked that way from the three-point shooting of Milwaukee. I think they're going to be able to continue to get more paints in the point. It's a, It was weird kind of how... They, they kind of reverse the script there, right? I mean, a hot shooting Milwaukee team all of a sudden said, no, let's just get 60 points in the paint. A team like Miami that protects the paint very well somehow wound up protecting the three-point shot much more effectively. So we're going to see how game two is going to play out. Like Both teams have already spoken about the need to make adjustments. I'm sure we'll see several of them. They're not 
and I maintain this, there aren't any kind of positional or rotation changes that they can make. There's nobody on mothballs there that they could break out. Jay Crowder is not coming back. There's nobody there. Derek Jones Jr., who's benched in Portland, should have stayed here. I think he's not going to be able to come in and save Miami in any way, shape, or form. Now, he would be great here as a lob threat, I'll be honest with you. I think you certainly need a lot more of that, the ability to get to the rim, draw fouls, etc. They just don't have anybody with that kind of length. They don't have anybody with that kind of ability to get to the rim as easily. It's a concern, but I think Miami's going to find a way to get, win game two. I, I, I was wrong about game one. I thought they'd be able to win that one. They got pretty damn close, though, and that's why I'm encouraged moving forward. But, of course, I'll have a recap of that game. So make sure that you check back here Monday night after games two victory. I'll go ahead and say it. I'll put it out there. Make sure you also check out the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Burkowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. And of course, make sure that you always reach out to me if you've got questions about the game, questions about players, questions in general. Send them over to LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLHeat. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting the show. But most of all, thanks to you. I'm David Ramil signing off for now.